We bring the news. We bring the action. We bring it live. This is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. And my guest today is Rabbi Levi Upson. And our topic is retaining our individuality in a group, in a crowd or a group. Nietzsche says, in individuals, insanity is rare. But in groups, parties, or nations, and epochs, it is a rule. Groups tend to be more extreme than individuals. An epoch means a particular period in history or in a person's life. He also said, know thyself. This is the essence of all science. Man will never know himself before he has gained a final knowledge of all things. Socrates said, to know thyself is the beginning of wisdom. And I know you like that quote. What welcome, Rabbi Afton. It's so good to be sitting opposite you again. We haven't done this for a while. And I've missed you, although I have seen you in between. But I've missed being on the program with you. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you and for the what, opportunity. What is your opinion on that? But I think you wanted to mention... Okay. Sorry, Craig. Um, he's just moved my speaker down. What's my opinion? Um, I think some of us love bashing individuals and some of us lo- love bashing crowds. The truth is you need both. Um, at different stages of history, we've tried either option and we've been destroyed. Today, I would say that we find ourselves in a time that more individualism than community It's something that many people have noticed. I've seen actually Mark Zuckerberg uh, mention last week when they rebranded Facebook. He mentioned that what they're realizing more and more is that the traditional community is falling apart. And therefore, Facebook's new mission statement is about not only just sharing knowledge, etc., but connecting people, bringing people together with with common goals and common principles because there is very little community. So I would say that in our time, we've gone a bit too much on the pedal to the other side and gone towards individualism, which has its own risks. It certainly does, because it is a human paradox that on the one hand, we have a longing to belong, and on the other hand, a desire to be unique. And when we celebrate, we like to do so with others. We enjoy going to sports events, musical festivals, religious events in crowds because of the atmosphere that we can get from a big crowd. And yet we do definitely value our personal space. And with technology today, I agree with you that I think this personal space is becoming more and more important to people. And people are almost um, cutting themselves away from the outside world. Um, And yet our need to belong also drives us to seek out stable and long-lasting relationships with other people. And it is also what motivates us, some people, to join sports teams, clubs, uh, groups, community organizations, and even religious groups, wouldn't you say? So I would say it's it's fascinating. It's something that I, I think about often. I'm not sure I have any good answers to is... The way God designed the world, how many different kinds of relationships a person not expected to have, but will have later, it will have at some stage of their life. Spouse, parents, grandparents, uncles, aunties, children, nephews, nieces, siblings, cousins, Mm. second cousins, Mm. friends, 
close friends, acquaintances, community groups, sport groups. You just think about the, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a mind-boggling concept. And each one has their rules. And each one has what they give you. And each one has the place where you overstep the boundary of where you need to be and where it turns into a disaster. And I think very often what happens is it's something that it's not really taught in schools. It's not really taught well. So many people lack that clarity of which relationship is what. Some people take family too far or they take it too close and et cetera with friendship. Some people don't know where the boundaries are. And I think the whole question of where individualism starts and community begins and where, where we start sharing relationships is such a fascinating, complex question. And I think it's something that people have to explore within themselves constantly and sit there saying, what is this relationship? What do I gain out of it? And what do I add to it? Why did God design it, et cetera? Absolutely, because we, being part of a group, we feel we're part of something bigger than and more important than ourselves. It gives us a purpose, a meaning in our lives. But right now, the meaning in our lives has to go to the advert. <laughs> <laughs> a fractious, fissile people, always given to divisions and disunity. How do we deal with that? The answer is that Judaism contains the most powerful tool of conflict resolution ever known. The only trouble is we don't use it. What is it? We never believed that Jews or anyone else all have to think the same thing. We know we're argumentative. We know that the 11th chapter of Beratius describes a world in which the builders of the Tower of Babel spoke one language and all had the same idea, and God came and confused their language. We have never sought to impose unity on the world. We have never even sought to impose uniformity on Jews. How then do we deal with difference? It's very interesting. Judaism is the only religion, the only culture in the world, all of whose canonical texts are anthologies of arguments. In the Bible, Abraham argues with God, Moses argues with God, so does Jeremiah, so does Jonah, so does Job. In the Mishnah, Rabbi X says this, Rabbi Y says that, and the Mishnah doesn't tell us who's right and who's wrong. It preserves both views. Even a rejected view, the view of the school of Shammai, is still reported. We argue. How then do we stay as one? By the sheer force of the argument itself. We stay, we converse, we disagree, but we never split apart. The sages coined the most beautiful idea. They called it machloket l'shem shemayim, argument for the sake of heaven. And the Talmud dramatizes it. It says, Rabbi X says this, Rabbi Y says that. The rabbis inquired of heaven, who is right? And heaven replied, Elu elu divrei elu kim chaim. They are both the words of the living God. God enjoys an argument. So the Talmud says this, Afilu avu bno afilu rav v'talmido. When a father and son or a rabbi and a disciple sit together, they become enemies to one another. They argue. But they do not part from there until they become 
lovers of one another. Why? Because et vahav basufa. If you stay within the argument, there is love at the end. In other words, Judaism believes that the argument itself is the total conversation of the Jewish people in dialogue with God. And so long as we can keep arguing with one another, never leaving the table, but engaged in the collaborative pursuit of truth, that is what holds the Jewish people together. Unity without uniformity. That willingness to keep talking, even with those with whom we disagree. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Rabbi Levi Atzon, and we are talking about retaining our individuality in a crowd. If you heard the telephone ringing there in the YouTube, it was actually Rabbi Sachs's telephone, not ours. Um, Rabbi Atzon, what did you think of that YouTube? It's a fascinating concept, the idea that we debate and that we have to keep our individuality and not lose ourselves. Um, it's, but on the other hand, it's a very complex idea because very often what we think is our ideas is actually our biases. Mm. And what we think our indivi- is our individuality is just our brainwashing. Mm. Um, as much as we celebrate debate, it also has to be, as he said, debate for the sake of heaven. And often you find people are just debating for the sake of being right. And that balance is, is one of the hardest balances, which goes back to the topic we're talking about, and that is, you know, earlier I asked the question, what does it mean to be part of the community? Because we live in so many different kinds of communities, and each community has its rules. But then the other side of the question is, what does it mean to be an individual? Who am I? Mm-hmm. What is my individuality? What does it mean to be an individual? Does it mean I have to be eccentric? Does it mean I have to be dafka? You know, put my foot down. Does it mean I, I can't be accommodating? Does it mean I have to be so authentic that I just say whatever comes to my mind, even if it's totally irrelevant or inappropriate or irreverent? Um, those are tough questions. And I think that when we talk about being an individual in a crowd, they're both of these things really have to be dug down into and ask myself, what is, what is my individuality? Which part of it must stay regardless? Which part of it is there to be challenged and not to be brought out. Um, and then when it comes to community, how much do I have to let go in order to be part of the community? How much do I have to be authentic to myself? And I think it's a struggle that each one of us struggles with. And I think it's very, there's objective truths in this question and there's subjective. That means the way you'll do it and the way I'll do it is very different just mm-hmm. based on our personalities. But each one of us has to grapple with where do I, where do I end and the world starts, etc. And who am I within this world? Mm. And, um, you know, I said to you earlier that I actually feel that until the day we actually leave this earth, we still grapple with that question. Who am I? You know, where, who, what am I supposed to be doing? Um, I'm, I'm hoping anyway that I'll be taking my last breath and still thinking, what should, what should I still be doing? You know, that a study done by, um, uh, a psychiatrist called Marai uh, on a group of children observed that when new children joined a group and brought in new ideas, they were immediately rejected. The ones that actually became successful leaders 
first conformed to the group norms before gradually suggesting new ideas. Um, I've, I've seen that in my life as well. Exactly. That's, you that's need what buy-in. I'm bringing, and that's why I'm telling you that. You need you need buy-in. Um, otherwise, people like – I remember when I moved to South Africa and I would try to join conversations of South Africans. I had no legitimacy. I mean, this little whippersnapper showing up from Brooklyn, like what, what does he know? And I mean, a bunch of years in South Africa, I still don't think I fully get South Africans and I don't think they fully get Americans. But eventually, once you prove yourself and you've been there in people's lives, then suddenly you're, you have the legitimacy to have a dissenting view. But if the first thing they hear from you is a dissenting view, they will not tolerate it. You'll be it. rejected. You'll be rejected. And, and groups definitely do reject outsiders. They don't take kindly to a new, new leader trying, trying to change their rules. And uh, this Mariah, the psychiatrist, also believed that leaders don't make the group. Rather, the group makes the leader. Groups reject outsiders. Uh, so as a rabbi coming into a new congregation, it must be very difficult because groups pose challenges to a leader because they group actual groups breed adversity and competition arises between the cliques. Is that the way it should be or is that the way it is? That's the way he says it is. So so let me ask you a question. Let me play uh, interviewer. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's another kind of group? Is there is there a, a paradigm in which a group doesn't become clicky, doesn't become doesn't become clicky and um, self-centered and reject rejectable, but rather a place where everybody belongs, rather a place than everyone conforms? Do you think that such communities exist, and is there a way to create it? Do you know, in in my own life, I have certainly run a lot of groups. And I have been involved in with groups. Um, I don't believe, I, I do see certain groups, if people come in with as authentic, authentically wanting to change whatever it is that the group wants to do, it can work. But you often get one person who can actually throw the group by bringing in dissent. And and then the group is inclined to become cliquish so that one group will go with that person and the other will stay with the original idea. Um, and eventually you have to almost debate what is the best idea, hoping that people are going to be open to the ideas being put forward. But sometimes in these cliques and in these little groups, they are closed groups and they have decided on what their ideas are. So talking about earlier about different kinds of groups, I would say that there's two kinds of groups that we live in. There's the groups that we develop based on common interests. And those are by definition clicky. I mean, if you're, mm-hmm. if, if you're interested in reading and, you know, Sarah's not, she's not going to feel comfortable with that group. And I think that's totally fine. And then there's the groups that have to be just based on everyone belonging to a space that not necessarily shares anything other than the fact of a common humanity. I would say one of the places that that is prominent is in family. You could have five children, each one with a very different personality type, and too bad you're siblings. You share blood, and you're going to grow up in the same house. And that is really the test of of the 
can we create a group that is not just based on common interests, but rather common humanity? And I think that in, in a way, communities have to be like that as well, because I, uh, communities have to be a space where everyone belongs. It cannot be just everybody that, you know, talks this way or has this interest. That's not community. That's very much a, a book club. Mm-hmm. So I it's got com- to be something greater than ourselves that we work. hundred percent. So I, there's nothing wrong with belonging to, you know, your golf club and your book club, et cetera. But that is not really the test of relationships and the beauty of relationships. I think the beauty of relationships is is trying to create spaces where people belong regardless of who they are. That's what communities are. And I think where communities fail often all around the world, not only religious communities, but any kind of communities, is when they become cliquish, when they become like a book club, when they become a place that you just belong based on an interest rather than you're welcome just because you're here and we love and we love you and we will find something to accommodate your specific interest. But we're not going to make the entire community value system based on certain people's interests. It has to be bigger than a little club. I absolutely agree. Unfortunately, we've got a break for an ad break again. Uh, Craig is waving the paper at us, and you are waving him away. (laughs) The farmer one day found an eaglet's egg, and he picked it up and and took it over to the hen house and put it under one of his hens. And when all the eggs were hatched, the little eagle was hatched with all the other little chickens. And of course, immediately the mother hen begins to rear her chicks as she often does. And the little eagle was treated exactly the same. And as he continued to grow, he assumed he was just a part of the family. He was another chicken among chickens. And so he began to learn the things that all little chickens learned to go around the barnyard and peck for worms. And, and then when it came to flying, learned to fly maybe a few feet first at very awkward and then he got pretty good at flying only a few feet at a time and this is the way he continued to live just following the the role of all the other chickens and then one day when he was much older he looked up in the sky and he saw a beautiful majestic bird riding on the on the winds and he turned to one of his friends and he said who is that or what is that his friend said, oh, he said, that's, that's an eagle. They're birds of the sky. He said, we're chickens, and we're birds of the ground. After the old eagle heard his friend tell him that that was a bird of the sky and he was a bird of the ground, there was a part of him that had been caught in that moment of seeing that bird in the sky that ignited a longing in himself to fly a few feet, to eat worms. The worms had never satisfied his hunger, and the flying never seemed to be enough. And he suddenly realized that he was facing a decision in his life. And that decision really was, do I continue to go on with life as I've always lived it, or do I do whatever it takes to fly like that bird? And so he began to ponder that, and he made a decision. He would rather try to fly like that bird than to simply accept the way he had been living. And so that's the decision he made, to fly. And his life was changed forever. 
The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi, FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Rabbi uh, Levi Aftson, and we are talking about individuality in groups or in a crowd. You can SMS us on 34519, or you can WhatsApp us on 062-148-2374. That analogy of the chicken and the egg is one of my favorite stories, the the little eagle and the chicken. You know, we were talking about individuality, and you you said that the Rebbe actually encouraged individuality. So today's a very interesting day in the in the, the Jewish calendar. It's the 23rd yard site of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Um, someone who mm-hmm. I, I met a little uh, when I was y- young, but somebody that till today is the single biggest influence in my life and the single inf- biggest influence in tens of thousands of people's lives. And more than any individual, uh, transformed the Jewish world of the 20th century, uh, without a doubt. Um, there is no other rabbi that is as known um, and has impacted as many people in modern history, like the rabbi, through his emissaries. And what we're talking about today is individuality amongst community. And one of the things I, I'm always fascinated about how the rabbi designed his movement is he, he designed a movement of thousands of people, couples, individuals who move out to places all over the world. I have a cousin that lives in Alaska, a cousin that lives in Ukraine, a cousin that lives in China and Hong Kong, Mm -hmm. relatives all over the world, Texas. And each person has to learn the language of the place. Uh, And each person has to develop some kind of common understanding with the people. My, co- my, my cousin in Alaska has to figure out how to do something in the snow, and he has, <laughs> to, he has to share some kind of interest. And he actually built a museum on Alaskan Jewish history a few years ago. Fascinating. Huh. And at the same time, he wears his black hat and his you know, black frock, and he, he's as authentic to himself as he was when he was a student in the yeshiva. And that balance of going and being part of the community, and not only being part of the community, influencing the community, and allowing the community to be part of your experience, and allowing them to influence you in certain ways, and at the same time, to be authentic to yourself is is really something very, very powerful that has to be thought about, and that is, often when we come into communities, we feel that the only way I will be part of the community is if I become like you, but mm-hmm. the problem is, who are you? Who's the community? What are the values of a community? Who decided the values of a community? And like I said earlier, communities should not be book clubs. They should not be a place that everybody just has one common interest. That's not community, and it's it's so stifling. And that's why so many people don't belong in communities. You know, very often we'll, we'll have debates about why Jews aren't coming to Shul as much as they used to um, all over the world. Uh, at, at the, I, I, th- I believe I just read a statistic. Only 21% of Jewish kids um, in, in America uh, are being raised with some kind of affinity to Judaism. It's mm-hmm. like ridiculous statistics. And even South Africa, we're not doing amazingly well. And yes, there's various reasons. Some people will blame the rabbis that they talk too long or uh, the choir is not relevant or <laughs> it is relevant and etc. Each person with their own excuses. But I believe one of the things is the community. That, that people walk into community and they feel like they have to conform, and, and that's very stifling. And that's something that no leader, no chairman, no rabbi, no rabbitson can ever solve because that comes from the people. Mm-hmm. And that's something that the, the communities have to look at themselves and say, are we a welcoming space? When people tell me that the big, biggest stress of Rosh Hashanah is going to find an outfit that they don't 
um, feel like an outcast when they sit and they walk into Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is the holiest day of the year, and you'd think that people's headspace is talking forgiveness and, and renewal and rebirth and connection and soul. And instead, they're trying to think about which outfit's going to fit and, and be up to standard. When those things happen, that, I believe, destroys more than any bad speech. Because people, more than anything, need to belong. They'll come to a place, even if the rabbi is as boring as the wall, but if they feel like they belong. I have to agree with you there, quite honestly. Um, You know, the need to conform is quite, there's there's pressure in that. Um, It is a kind of social influence um, in order to fit in with a certain group. It, It is defined as yielding to group pressure in many ways, you know. And sometimes people will conform just merely because of a fear of being rejected. Um, and privately, they may reject the views that are being put forward to them, um, but keep them to themselves in, in fear of being rejected. And the funny thing is very often people will come and sit there saying, Rabbi, you know what the solution is? We have to become more tolerant of other people's views. Now, obviously, you try to create a space that's tolerant, but within you know religious Judaism and orthodoxy, there's boundaries. But... I believe that the people have to be as tolerant as they expect the leadership to be. That means maybe the people are tolerant of a lot of ideas, but they're not tolerant of things that they're not tolerant of. In other words, mm-hmm. the community can sit there expecting a certain standard of dress, and somebody walks out, walks in very eccentric, and everybody's going to give them the look. The, pers- the people can expect a certain conformity of thought in regards to secular matters. That means people always think that the solution to, to the continuation of community is change the religion. Mm-hmm. And I would say the religion has been doing quite well for 4,000 years. Not much has to be tweaked to it. But if there's one place we have to tweak is us as individuals to get out of that herd groupishness thing because we all suffer from it. Mm-hmm. And I find often that people who consider themselves open-minded are the most closed-minded. They're open-minded to certain ideas, but if you don't agree with their ideas – you totally uh, feel alienated. Mm. And to be able to create spaces that we don't care what your ideas are, we love you for who you are. And talking about the Rebbe, that was the Rebbe's genius. How did he turn his movement into the single biggest movement in the Jewish world and has more centers than any other denomination in, in, in the United States and other places of the world? How? And in South Africa, it's the single biggest movement. It's because he created us. He says, don't, it doesn't make a difference what people think. You just make them feel welcome. Don't create communities based on conformity. Create communities based on belonging. Just hug them. The person could have the wackiest ideas and the person can have done the biggest mistakes in their lives. Just love them. That's where community belongs. Community is not a book club. Isn't that beautiful? Really beautiful. You know that um, you talk about uh influencing people there is such a thing as a herd mentality and i've been at many functions in group settings weddings bar mitzvahs religious festivals whatever other celebrations and i've observed the drunken uncontrollable behavior of certain people you know it's it's almost like a herd mentality where one person will begin the unruly behavior and will rapidly have a large following who don't who want to look as though they belong And I've often wondered if there's a sense of embarrassment or guilt or even shame the next day when that person or the the day after when that person sobers up. 
So I'm sure there, there, there better be, otherwise that. <laughs> I sincerely hope there are. But I, I think that that it has to be an inside-out approach. The more authentic I'm with myself, the more I'll figure out where my, I belong in the community, and I will not allow the community to swallow me, but I will allow the community to give me and allow me to give it the the maximum. But people who are not authentic with themselves, you'll never find that um, authenticity within a group. You you first have to. It has to be like inside out. Like we're talking about individual versus community. You first have to build an individual and then figure out community. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have a certain sense of self, then you don't know your boundaries. You don't know where you are. Like, you know, often you talk to uh, um, professionals about young children, OT, physio, and they'll tell you the kid doesn't have any sense of space. Like it's often the thing and they'll try to train the kid. But most of us, most adults don't have a sense of space in an emotional way. They don't know what is the role of a sibling or what's the role of a parent and what's the role of a friend. You don't call your friend at two in the morning um, and just sobbing about the, the fact that the coffee spilled on you the, earlier that day. Like you call two in the morning if it's an absolute tragedy. Mm. But a lot of people don't have that boundaries. And that has to come from an authentic self. And I think that, that what's happening in our time is – um, you know, I mentioned earlier that we no longer have communities, but I think we also don't have self. It's almost like the chicken and the egg. Mm-hmm. Most people don't have an authentic self, and therefore they don't know where they belong in the community. So they sit there blaming the community and saying the community expects me to conform, but the community only can expect someone to conform, someone that's not authentic. If you're authentic, who cares about expectations? You'll find your space. So it's almost like this tug war that we're living in a time that very few people have an authentic self and therefore they don't know where they belong in the community and therefore it's so much easier to hide behind the phone and build these face, fake relationships where the definition of your mood is which emoji you chose to, <laughs> to, to signify your feelings. And we're back to that reject, you know, personally rejecting the views but outwardly looking as though you uh, agree with the, the group's views. Yes, but often what I find is like people walk over and they'll reject something I say, which is they're entitled to, but they're not sure why. Because they themselves haven't figured out their philosophy. All they know is that they like the life they live or they want to make believe that they like the life. And the second you throw an idea that challenges their life, becomes like a kid that you take away their toy. So true. So like and the, the pettiness comes in. A hundred percent. But if I'm authentic with myself, I won't be threatened by your ideas. I won't be. I won't feel the need to conform. It's like the, as I said, it's a chicken and egg. Authenticity with oneself creates authenticity within community. Mm-hmm. If you're not authentic with yourself, then everything's overwhelming. Most importantly, yourself. That that's very true. Um, you know, personally, I think it takes great courage to actually step out of a group or a clique and to be yourself. It really does take courage, especially if you're living in a community, to to actually be different. Um, and, you know, uh, people are incri- inclined then to create a, um, a group um, of, of their own type of culture, you know, and to, to try and get people who are similar to them into into this group and and I think in in a way it's important to actually to do that to to socialize and not to close in on yourself because it's very easy to close in on yourself you know it's a safer place to be yes but as i said i think if you're authentic with yourself you won't be threatened by the herd mm. and then people will find their space within community that's that's true. You know that Mother Teresa said one of the greatest diseases is to be nobody to anybody. I would say the, the, the biggest disease is to be nobody to yourself. 
I think she was talking about relationships. And what yes, I find is that was. some people are nobody in their own eyes. If you're nobody in the, your own eyes, then like, that's the greatest tragedy of all. And that's what so many people are trying to find belonging through community. And that's where we overstep the boundaries of community. You don't become yourself in community. Community is where you get to share a bit of yourself and to just enhance yourself a bit. But yourself has to be built within yourself. Mm-hmm. Your core cannot come from belonging to anybody else other than yourself. And I would say even the marriage, which is the greatest relationship, if it works, um, you cannot be built through marriage. You have to be built through yourself. I remember my uncle was tell- telling me during dating, he says, marriage is not a hospital. <laughs> it's just going to magnify your problems. It's not going to solve them. So figure it out. That means if I'm authentic within myself, then I will get the best that the relationships have to offer, and I'll offer the relationships the best. But if I'm not authentic within myself, gosh, I just I try to find belonging in the marriage, in the child. I try to project myself onto the child and onto the others, and that's unfortunately a lot of the craziness that we see around us. And a lot of the disease and a lot of the people being in hospital today. <laughs> <laughs> we have to break for an ad break. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and my special guest today is Rabbi Levi Atzon. Rabbi, a, a message has come through from Australia. Hello, Sue and Rabbi. Enjoying your program from Australia. I like the rabbi's description about ideal communities that include people with varied interests, religions, and talents. A community should be based on love and welcoming. If only we could extend this philosophy to asylum seekers throughout the world. What is the rabbi's view on this tragic global situation? It's a tragedy. I know that, unfortunately, like everything in life, these topics become emotive. And uh, what I see now in the whole debate of asylum seekers is how emotive it is. And it's either they're evil and they're monsters and they're terrorists or – and therefore you cannot take them in or – we have to accept all of them and we have to be incredibly amazing and people are not debating it objectively. There's no question that as a child – a grandchild of asylum seekers myself – I have a tremendous sensitivity to people who've, who've been through tragedy. Um, my, my family left Russia in the 1960, in 1966, and if Israel wasn't there to accept them, um, we would, I, I wouldn't be born, or I, I would, my mother would be living communism her whole life, and God knows if I would be Jewish today. Um, and my, fa- my grandparents on my father's side got asylum in the United States uh, after World War II, and they were able to raise a wonderful family. So... There's no question that we that the debate today is, is is losing the humanity behind it. On the other hand, there is no question that there's a certain fear. I mean, places like Sweden and other places that took in a lot of asylum seekers without creating some kind of expectation of how to build community. There's some places which are very dangerous. I was talking to a friend of mine who who's, who is a Chabad rabbi in, in one of the cities of Sweden who literally every single week is pelted with stones by, by immigrants and uh, goes through tremendous tragedy. Um, and Lily is terrified for his life, and he's only staying there because there's still a few Jews in the town. So the answer has to be somewhere. I don't, know, I don't claim to have the answer to everything, but I think you cannot take emotion into it. You have to be able to say we have to respect humanity and somehow make it work. Mm-hmm. 
We have to make it work. We have to have compassion. We cannot close our door to people that are going on a boat to the other, you know, in, in the ocean, young kids. On the other hand, we have to create a thing that they don't come in and change the culture of a place and totally, um, unfortunately, uh, often create tragedy. I mean, now Sweden, I think some place in Sweden are the rape capital of the world. And in other places you read, Sweden's the nicest place to live in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's the question. And that's the complexity. And I think that's the complexity that we're talking about within community. That there has to be some basic expectation that people come to a place and, and, and they buy in. On the other hand, you have to be authentically self. Like if I went to, um, to a place and they would tell me drop my religion, I would find that very threatening. And I think mm-hmm. expecting people to drop their religion is absolutely wrong. On the other hand, I should be learning the language of the place. I should be connecting to people. I should be, um, not locking myself in the ghetto and, and not communicating with people, but engaging and seeing my role to become part of the community and allowing myself to learn from the people as well as them learning from me. And that is the the paradox that I think the world is finding now. And that's instead of polarizing the issue, we have to find a middle ground in which, yes, we do create spaces for these people who are being bombed out of their homes all, you know, all around the world. But on the other hand, expecting them to appreciate the value of community and not just be a dafkinik and, and not assimilate within the community. Mm. An incredibly difficult uh, transition for anyone to make, I think, quite honestly. And when you see the... Um, the polarization in Israel today, uh, when we, when I was there, there was a, a, a burning of an effigy of a, 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 a soldier by a religious group, a fanatical religious group. So, I mean, those people in my mind are not welcome in Israel. <laughs> you know, that, that's my way of thinking. On the other hand, and so, you know, when somebody starts blaming the, the immigrants who are coming in also, um, you know, bringing in danger and what have you, we're inclined to label and therefore the welcoming goes out, you know, as this says, you know, how do we uh, welcome and love uh, people based on that, which is what the Rebbe said, to go out and love and to hold people. But also to hold people accountable. Yeah. That means, uh, did he mean all people? He certainly didn't mean just Jews, did all he? All people, all, all people. people. Um, to, but on the other hand, to hold people accountable for themselves. Like I could be very judgmental. Of, I mean, I could be very open to you, but if you're a thief coming at my door, I'm not going to open my door and sit there saying, please rob me. Right. Um, that, 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 that respect for myself and respect for the things that I believe important. On the other hand, I'm accepting of you. So I'll be accepting of every person. I'll try. But it doesn't mean I have to now buy into your values and doesn't mean I cannot put my foot down when you're crossing a red line. And that, and I think that's where the world is going now. We, we think that the answer is in extremes. It's either don't walk into my home or come into my home and totally take it over. Mm-hmm. And both of them are not the true. Now, where does the responsibility lie? A hundred percent. It has to be a two-way relationship where I'm going to be uh, open to you. But on the other hand, I will not be open to things that I believe are wrong and I, and I, and I will hold you accountable. And, you know, when you see the liberal and conservative debate in the United States and all across the world, it's like absolute tolerance to zero tolerance. Absolutely. And that's not – life isn't like that. You're not like that with your own kids. You could love your kids unconditionally, but there's no absolute tolerance or zero tolerance. There's, this, there's a certain understanding that, yes, you're an individual. But on the other hand, there's an expectation. Mm-hmm. This is the way we behave. Mm-hmm. But I am fully open to you. But you have to also come to the party. I'm not just going to say – 
here, take everything without an expectation. So, so the whole debate about how do you treat, you know, the unemployed? Do you just throw money at them or you, also ex- you, you, you create an environment in which the, you empower them to go create jobs and expect them to rise to the occasion? Otherwise, you just have societies that for five, six generations straight, people haven't climbed out of poverty because there was no expectation. It was just free hands out. That is always the debate between expecting the individual to stand up for themselves and actually rise to occasion and the community's responsible to the responsibility mm. to the individual mm. as you see this this conversation of community and, and individual is so it's, broad it is so broad and it's actually and it's universal it really is and more and more so now um you know you turn on I mean, I know Al Jazeera is now being banned, but you turn on Al Jazeera, BBC, um, CNN, and in all of those, you see the polarization that's going on and the, the, the unbelievable anger that is brewing in the world today because people are not accepting of each other's opinions or views. And you know, that's why I love TV over, uh, I mean, radio over TV. You know why? Because in radio, we can actually have these conversations over an extended amount of time. And what happens is in the in the era of YouTube sound bites and um, TV three-minute segments, people have to say their point of view in 30 seconds. Or in, truth is subtle. Truth is complex. Debate is complex. And polarization happens in a world where everything is in a soundbite, an elevator pitch. How quickly can you say your point of view? So one, the, the right goes this way, the left goes that way, and, and you see polarized. But the second you start having these conversations like we're having now, you can, you can discover the subtlety and the complexity of problems. And you can unpack them uh, bit by bit, you know. 100%. It and like peeling an onion. 100%. <laughs> and chances are we're not going to walk out with any of our questions resolved today. Oh. And I don't think that's the point. I don't believe that radio, or for that matter, any kind of debate is about offering answers. It's about asking the good questions and offering perspectives that might be right, might be wrong, but allowing people to explore because truth is, is a journey. It's not a soundbite. And I think you're so right. I think um, these sort of deba- debates open our minds, yours and mine, to to other opinions, and hopefully open our listeners' minds to to other to to actually question um, what they're being told out there, or what or, or what they are actually doing there too. You know, in a previous uh, program with Rene Posnack, we discussed what Durkheim. The French sociologist called the emotionality of groups, and he called this the phase of effervescence. Now, I think this is where individuals uh, enjoy – well, that's where you actually become a group, where you you want this feeling of belonging, which gives you this this lift – do you know that lift that I'm talking about that 100%. you do feel? And I think families, healthy families, offer that. It, it, like you come and, yes, you have five siblings and each one of you is very different. But if you're, you've grown up and you're no longer kids fighting over toys and, and you sit across each other and you just, yes, each one of us went in a different direction in life and each one of us maybe has even different values and principles – but we love each other and we belong and we just laugh and we share memories. That's when you realize that we don't have to have anything in common. But to we belong. can just enjoy each other. The only thing we need in common is we're all children of God. Mm. We're all humans. We all have hearts and we all have minds and we, and we all want to belong. But we don't want to lose our identity through that belonging. A belonging should never connote losing oneself because that's conformity and that is nothing 
in relationship to community. That's not the plan. That's beautiful. Um, I see that um, I've got to just read another live read quickly. Pick and Pay Norwood has some very special deals for you. Listen to this. Tastic rice, 2 kilogram long grain parboiled, 21.99 each. Pick and Pay free range, 18 extra large eggs, 39.99, save 10 rand. Baby soft two ply white toilet tissue, 18s, 8990. Uh, buy two Brooks Oros Original Orange Squash, two liters for 58 Rand. Big Jim Alpha Clear Storage Box Set, three at uh, 13 liters, was 129.99, now 89.99. You can get all of these at Hyper Norwood and only while stocks last and they're valid from the 20th of June till the 2nd of July. Rabbi, as usual, we're sort of talking so quickly uh, to try and, uh, you know, you say that um, on these these little bites, but um, you and I seem to be trying to to rush it. How would you like to to end this program? How how what would you like to to think about people to think about? Um, gosh, in a group, let me just ask you this: When you're in a group, do you ever notice? Oh, it, t- talking about a community that there's an us versus a them in the different uh, uh, realms of, of it. So again, um, at, 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 at the risk of repeating myself too many times in one show, I think in a group of people where people are not authentic to themselves, it becomes an us versus them. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm comfortable with myself, I'm comfortable with you. You know that, that expression, live and let live? If you live, then you let live. So if true. you have a life, then you have let others have their life. If you're comfortable with your own decisions, you'll allow comfort for other people to live with their decisions. The more intolerant you are of other people and the more intolerant a group is of another group, the more it says that that group or that individual doesn't have an authentic self. Mm-hmm. And when you see this polarization here in this country and all over the world, you have to start asking yourself, is the issue only that we're polarized or is the issue that both sides of the polarization actually don't know what they stand for? That means it almost becomes like the polarization develops an identity of its own where we scream slogans and one-liners on one another, but we actually don't even know what we're screaming and what we're debating. Because if we're authentic to oneself and if we go down the rabbit hole of our own questions and our own doubts, because there's nobody that has absolute ideas about anything, and if they are, then they're, sorry, they're just an idiot because it, it, the journey of life has to take us to more depth and more depth. And the, to question. And to question. And, and yes, yes, there's, certain, there's a few absolutes of life. Uh, murder is wrong. God exists, etc. But most of the challenges and debates we have are about things that are subtle. And, and there's truth to all sides of the debate, and it's complex. It is. It's and so if complex. if I am willing to go down to my own rabbit hole and down to and, and debate my own self and try to go down the journey, I'll develop tolerance for other people's journey as well. So if before we tr- sit there trying to solve the problem of disunity in the world or disunity communities or even disunity in families, maybe we have to challenge disunity within ourselves. The, the fact that we're so fragmented, the fact that we are not individuals. And maybe the reason why communities are disintegrating is because individuals are disintegrating. And the way to rebuild communities is by rebuilding individuals where each person develops their own thoughts and each person goes down and tries to become their authentic self, the person that God sent them to be, the person that they are intended to be to make the difference in the world that they need to make. 
And, you know, on that very wise note, I, I think it, it starts at birth, from birth onwards, and in our schools, certainly. And Craig is telling me I've got to wrap up, unfortunately. There is a saying, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. Yet I must admit, I believe we should never underestimate the strength and the influence one person can have. I mean, look at um, Rabbi uh, uh, Shimon Bar Yochai, who was 13 years in a cave in the Galilee and wrote the Zohar. I mean, that is a great subject. As long as we're authentic to as ourselves. Absolutely authentic. To be on your own like that for 13 years, I think you have to be authentic. Ogmandino said, count your blessings. Once you realize how valuable you are, the smiles will return, the sun will break out, the music will play, and you will finally be able to move forward into the life God intended for you with grace, strength, courage, and confidence. I wish you all that strength, that courage, and that confidence. Next week, uh, I will be back here, and we're going to be ending now with Shweki playing I Can Be.